Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We want to look at the cure for the perilous times. I will admit to anyone listening to this tape or to any of you here that I certainly sound harsh, nearly hateful, angry at the false teachers of the perilous times. I hope that doesn't bother you, because if Elijah were here, he'd be the same. If Jeremiah or Ezekiel were here, they'd be the same. Hosea, Malachi, Haggai, John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, or the Apostle Paul. Read their writings and find out what they spoke like. They hated these false teachers, and the damage that they do in churches and families makes me angry. I hope... By the grace of God that I am a shepherd in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, when I see sheep being led astray, sheep being undermined, sheep being taught the wrong things, I get angry. Because to me it's a wolf, and there's one thing to do with the wolf. Shoot it. Now, in the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, it listed the character of the perilous times with 19 perils. But it gave us a few words at the end of chapter 5 that are important. From such, turn away. The religion of the Bible is not a religion of unity. It's not a religion of association, denominationalism, fellowship, or friendship when there's false doctrine involved. Jesus Christ said, whosoever is not for me is against me. If you are not for the Lord Jesus Christ and His doctrine, He considers you His enemy. And so we turn away. I am not out to make friends, except for those that want to follow the way of God more perfectly. I'll I'll be their friend. I'll do anything I can for them. But we are supposed to turn away. I want you to understand that as Paul worked his way down through the first five verses, he said, from such, turn away. And now he's about to tell Timothy what to do in a positive way to oppose them and to fight them. In case you thought I'm a little harsh, let me just give you an example of Paul to Timothy. Come back a couple of pages to the last chapter of the first epistle. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and listen to this loving, honey-soaked description of false teachers in the church of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6, I'm going to start at verse 3. 1 Timothy 6, 3. If any man teach otherwise. Now, he is not talking about Greek philosophers or Philistine Magicians. He's talking about men in the churches of Jesus Christ. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. There we have it again. Here it says, from such withdraw thyself. Now, if you have an NIV or other Bible versions like that, you will find that the words, from such withdraw thyself, have been removed from the Bible. 1 Timothy 6.5 doesn't have them. 
This is a great description of the seeker-sensitive mega-church leaders right here who think that gain is godliness. They think that growth is an evidence of godliness. And look at how Paul describes them. Look at, what, look at his words. He is proud, knowing nothing. Well, now, don't they know something? Paul said, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of word. And he goes on and he, and he blasts them. In 1 Timothy 6, 3-5, through 5, It was not too long ago that I taught you the whole chapter of 2 Peter chapter 2, where, where they promised them liberty, while they themselves are the servants of corruption. Do you remember? Peter wasn't merciful. If you read 2 Peter 2, go to read the little book of Jude and see what Jude has to say about the false teachers that would arise. Those men were the apostles. They had a few sentences to be able to write to the churches of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. Do you think they're going to beat around the bush when there is an enemy, where there's a peril at risk to destroy the churches of Jesus Christ? They unloaded on them. I can't stand James Dobson. I hate everything he stands for. That's why I pick on his name. He has undermined so many churches that the man of God in the pulpit cannot get in the pulpit and preach the Word of God because all the women out there in the pews will hold on to their sappy little stories they heard from that humanistic psychologist on the radio during the week and they'll have a, he'll have a revolt if he were to preach the Word of God. Let alone the poor men. These women order the books, they get the videos, and they listen to the radio programs, and they hide themselves in their little cocoon of spirituality and greater knowledge than their husbands because of what Jimmy told them. And when their husband comes home and tries to set them straight, they just retreat into the cocoon of what they were given by this humanist. Listen, loving yourself as a panacea for the human race is as humanistic as it has ever been. No humanistic manifesto is worse than what James Dobson preaches as so-called gospel. He is not an or he's not a minister of Jesus Christ. He's a man destitute of the truth. He is proud. He doesn't know anything. That's why he goes around calling himself Dr. James Dobson. Listen, any man that had any humility wouldn't call himself doctor in any occasion. Why would you do that? And on and on we could go. I mention the name because I consider him the number one problem in America. Billy Graham is on the way out. Billy Graham doesn't have a daily radio program where he undermines the family, where he creeps into houses and leads captive silly women. James Dobson does. That is why. Not Benny Hinn. Listen, the women are so silly that go after Benny Hinn, nobody could help them but for a miracle from heaven. But there are a lot of good churches and a lot of good families that listen to James Dobson and they are, they are undermined from believing the pure Word of God because he's a compromiser. He doesn't come out and say, I'm a humanist. He just presents a humanistic psychology instead of plain Bible. Like I said, if you disagree with me, then write or call him this week and see if he'll have a session on Proverbs 20.30. The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil, so do stripes the inward parts of the belly. Let's get the cure. I just want to remind you that the, whether it was Elijah the prophet or John the Baptist, did you read John the Baptist? 
What are you scribes and Pharisees here for a baptism for? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The Lord Jesus Christ that's coming after me already has His fan in His hand. He's going to burn you up. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke the same way. When He was told He had offended the Pharisees, He said, Every plant that my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. They be blind leaders of the blind. Let them both fall into the ditch. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ would say. Do you know what? The average carnal Christian today doesn't have a clue about the Jesus of the Bible. Not a clue. That man sat down and took some leather thongs and made himself a scourge. And don't ever forget it because the Gospels want us to remember it. And he drove the money changers out of the temple. He said, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. He knocked over their tables and drove them out. Can you imagine the fury that it would take to do that to a crowd of men who had a business at stake? The disciples were taken back with the Lord gave them understanding from heaven at that moment. And they remembered Psalm 69. John 2 will tell you about this. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Because there was something eating up the Lord Jesus Christ and it was protection for the integrity of the house of God. And they had their little money-making schemes right along with it. And you know, when, they, when someone is selling a, a cloth on television that will, that will cure all your diseases and solve your financial problems, if you'll sow a seed with their ministry, what does that mean? If you'll give me some money, somebody ought to get upset. I trust that my anger is righteous and in line with the Word of God. But if you don't know about anger in the Word of God, you haven't read enough of it. I get, def- I get angry because I want to protect the poor sheep that are out there being led astray by these frauds. The cure. Wonderful. Verses 14 through 17. I'll read the first verse. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That second word is key. Continue. Do you know what the true measure of our Christianity is going to be? It's to continue and not change. Remember, we're to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered. Not continually being delivered, but once delivered. Now, if you're going to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered, that means you have to continue all the way from something that was instituted 2,000 years ago. That means we are going to look like sticks in the mud. We're going to look like Neanderthal cavemen. We're going to look like prehistoric to this society. But we want to hold to what the apostles laid down and we don't want to change. The key, Timothy, continue. Because these men that were going to come along were going to alter the gospel of Jesus Christ and the practice of New Testament churches in order to seduce women and attract them and the unregenerate into their seeker-sensitive movement. And so Paul is telling Timothy, continue. The key to Christianity is continuing. It's not professing once. It's staying the course and holding fast to the straight and narrow way God's given us to walk in. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Here's how he gave it to Titus. Titus, find men like this that will hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Titus, I want men 
that will hold fast what they've been taught, for there are many unruly and vain talkers. This is one page over, Titus 1, 9 through 11. There are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses. Oh, there is a context in the Bible, isn't there? When Paul wrote one minister, he wrote things that were similar to what he wrote the other minister. Amazing. Do we, do we know our Bibles and these pastoral epistles? Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Whole houses are subverted by these men wiggling their ways into women's lies, silly women, and then corrupting the whole family. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Now we read earlier in verses 6 and 7, ever learned, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Learning, if you're not learning the truth, is the biggest waste of time and delusion you could ever waste your life in. Is learning something that isn't true. Because first of all, you're wasting a lot of time, you're wasting a lot of money, and you're deceiving yourself by thinking that you are acquiring knowledge while you're learning a lie. That's not acquiring knowledge. That's setting yourself up for a great fall by believing a lie. But Timothy had been taught some things, and he had done some learning, but it was true learning. And who had been his teacher? The Apostle Paul. But continue, thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. There are things that were taught to Timothy, and that was the basis of New Testament religion. It was not a mood. It was not music. It was things. It was doctrine. It was practice. It was how Timothy was to behave himself in the house of God. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Do you know, we are the only ones that are sure of ourselves in the whole world. You know, they debate every single subject. They don't know if we ought to kill unborn children or not. The nation's split on it. Should we kill unborn children or not? Should murderers be put to death or not? They don't know. They debate it. We're sure of everything. We know where the world came from. We know what should happen to murderers. And we know that unborn children shouldn't be killed. And on, we know where women should, their, their role in the home. We know what the Bible says about them because the Bible tells us. Now look at that little word assured. Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. I want all of you to be confident of the truth. This is the cure. Instead of thinking that it's vague and it doesn't really matter, and the Lord doesn't really care as long as you have a good heart. As long as you have a good heart, the Lord doesn't care how we worship Him. No, Paul said, you have things that were committed to you, continue in them, and you know that they are the sure truth. You've been assured of them. You know, the Bible is very dogmatic like that. The Bible in Proverbs 22 says that when someone asks you a question, you should give them the, the certain words of truth in your answer. The Bible says that the Bible itself, it says about itself, is more sure than God's voice from heaven. Luke wrote Theophilus in Luke chapter 1 and said, I'm going to write and tell you about the things most surely believed among us. That is the truth of God. We don't have anything up for debate except your matters of liberty, and we don't even care about those. Do whatever you want. 
But the things God has spoken on, we should be sure of them. And then look at the humility of Paul, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You know what some men would say, talking like that? That that's arrogance. No, it wasn't. He was God's man. And when he's God's man, and he tells Timothy, you continue in preaching everything that I've told you, because look who taught it to you. Is that pride? Paul said it's any man that would go against those words that was proud. Any man that would go against the wholesome words of Paul, he's guilty of pride. God raised up the Apostle Paul, and I want you to love our brother Paul. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him as one born out of due season. The Apostle Paul met the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ committed to him the gospel for Gentiles. And he gave it to Timothy. Timothy gave it to others who in turn ordained others, and they ordained me to be your pastor. Be thankful for the brother Paul. You know, I am sick of these people that want to avoid Paul. Well, Paul was a woman hater. Because he wrote 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2, and a few other passages like that, they call him a woman hater. No, he's the apostle of the Gentiles. He's the one we're supposed to be following. Remember what he told Timothy, the things which thou hast heard of me. Before many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Timothy, it is my ministry to Gentiles that needs to be perpetuated in the earth. Not the ministry of James or Peter or Jude. They have their place. But when you read those epistles that were written to Jews, you better be careful because there's going to be some things in them that don't line up with what Paul said. Don't have time for them right now. I'll just, I'll just give you one. You know, calling the elders of the church together and anointing somebody with oil that will raise up the sick? Uh-uh. That was a sign gift of the apostles. Paul never taught that. Paul didn't believe in it and Paul couldn't do it. Do you know how we know that? Because when it came to Timothy's stomach problems, he gave him a home remedy. Why didn't he tell him to call for the elders of his church? Certainly they would have prayed for their own pastor. That was just, forget that. The Brother Paul is our man. Verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you've been taught the Word of God since you were a child by your mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And this is part of our fight against the perilous days. This little rabbit that I want to chase here. We have got to teach our children the Bible. The Bible has all the answers. Timothy had known the Bible since he was a child, and Paul had just given him the understanding of it. So that he would be wise concerning salvation. No pope was going to come along and move Timothy. Timothy wasn't going to be praying to Mary for salvation. He wasn't going to be selling indulgences to get out of purgatory. Because he was wise in the salvation because his mother and his grandmother had ingrained into him the Word of God. The Bible said this. The Bible said that. There was no room in his life for the Catholic Church. And all of its superstitions. From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now that would have been the Old Testament which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And that's with Paul giving an understanding of them. Because without Paul opening up some of those passages, it would have been hard to have seen Jesus Christ in very many places. The cure. This is the cure. Timothy, I've given you 13 verses describing the rise of a weak and compromising brand of Christianity. Here's how we fight it. 
Continue in what I've taught you. Do not change. They are going to be suggesting change all the time. Don't change. Stick with the Bible that you've known since you were a child. If you'll stick with the Bible, there's no place for infant baptism. There's no place for anything, for baptism for the dead of the Mormon church. Stick with the Bible. It'll make you wise into salvation. And then he says these wonderful words. All Scripture, Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God wrote the Bible for you, Timothy. I'm going, I'm going to, I'm about to depart. But God has left His Word with you, Timothy. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that you, Timothy, can be perfect, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Timothy, the cure is in the Word of God. Oh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 have been quoted so many times. But do you see their context? It's the cure for the perilous times. When men are inventing things day after day, seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven drivel, everything they come up with, we have an answer. Go back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. Timothy, God has left you His inspired Scriptures. They're able to teach you doctrine. They're able to show you how to reprove. They're able to correct your ministry. They're able to truly furnish you into all good works. A man of God just needs the Bible. He doesn't need a seminary degree. He needs the Bible. He doesn't need purpose-driven. He needs the Bible. That's what those two verses are there for. Timothy, you don't need anything else but the Bible. And the Bible is able to make you perfect. Truly furnished to all good works. You can do everything that God ever expected. And brethren, everyone, all my, Joshua, the Bible has all the answers. The Bible can make you perfect. Matthew, Lewis, Orville, Anthony, all of you young men, the Bible can make you perfect. It'll truly furnish you in Austin unto all good works. All you need is the Word of God. Give me a man of God with the Word of God that trusts every Word of God and lives by it, and he has all that he needs. He does not need to listen to anyone else. He does not need to be intimidated by the ministerial association. He does not need to be threatened because he hasn't gone to the megachurch meetings by Rick Warren, who's now taught a quarter of a million of pastors around the world on how to have a church like his. He doesn't need to worry about any of that. He just needs to stick with the Word of God. That's what those two verses are there for. They are the cure. Verses 14-17 through of the cure for the perilous times. Continue without changing. Stick to the Scriptures about salvation. And trust the Bible for everything that you need in a church. Now, when he got to verse 16, he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is able to make the man of God perfect. He is including the New Testament in Timothy's time. Because the Old Testament could not make a New Testament minister perfect. So he is including the New Testament. Oh, and here's where I get angry again. I'm sorry that I get angry so often. But I'm not very sorry. The world believes, Catholics and Protestants, that we got our 27 books 
at a council in 397. Let's just round it off, okay? 400 A.D. The Council of Carthage, a church council, gave us the 27 books of the New Testament. I have a father in the ministry named Timothy who was told in 60 A.D. or 65 A.D. that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Do you know what they all say about that word Scripture? That's the Old Testament. That includes the New Testament. I want to show you just a couple things. Turn back a couple pages to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I've had so many Catholics write me about the Council of Carthage. When, when we did our little program, our little project against the Catholics and Mel Gibson's movie, I received at least 100 emails telling me that I ought to be thankful to the Catholic Church because they're the ones that gave me the Bible. Because they claim the Council of Carthage to be their council. But so do the Protestants. That's where they got their 27 books. I want to, I want to show you a few secrets though. See, I believe the Bible. Now, do you think that Matthew and Luke were the first showed up in 400 A.D.? Or, or, or were they already known to be Scripture in 65 A.D.? Can I prove it? 1 Timothy 5.18 For the Scripture saith... Now remember, please. Paul told Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now here, this is his first epistle to Timothy... He said, For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. What Scripture said that? Can you look in your center column reference and find it? Help me out. I know where it said, but I'm just... Deuteronomy said that. Okay. Okay, that's Old Testament. What about the next one? The laborer is worthy of his reward. Yes! Luke! Carthage. Forget Carthage. Do you see that? Paul is already calling Luke Scripture in 60 A.D. in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 18. That is not found in the Old Testament. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say the labor is worthy of his hire. Brethren, trust the Bible. Amen. Go back to the Bible. We don't care about their church councils. We don't need their church councils. They do not have a clue as to how the 27 books came together. Why doesn't our New Testament include the epistle to the Laodiceans that is mentioned in Colossians chapter 4? Because God made choice that it wasn't going to be part of it. And they knew it early on. They didn't have to wait 400 years to figure that out. They knew that it wasn't Scripture. They do not know how the 27 books came together. We know how they came. All we know is God did it providentially, and He did it very early, and He backed it up with fruit. It, It just came together. And we know that it's God's Word because for 2,000 years, this is the New Testament and the Bible of the martyrs, and it stands against the Bible of the Catholics who killed the martyrs. When, when people ask me, why do you believe the King James Bible is the Word of God? I give them answers they've never heard before in their lives. By faith and fruit. I don't go to any manuscript family. I don't go to the quality of the, tra- of the translators. I don't go to the character of the king that ordered it. I go to faith and fruit and say, I believe the King James Bible is the Bible that God gave English-speaking people in 2005 the, the same way that you believe the 27 books are God's books. Right. By faith and fruit. All Scripture... Okay, I gave you one example. There's Paul confirming Luke 
in 1 Timothy 5.18. This, look at this one. 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3. Neil, you do whatever you gotta do, brother, cause I gotta do whatever I gotta do. 2 Peter 3. And I, and I love you, brother, and you just do what you gotta do, and it's not gonna bother me. I won't be too long, but I'm gonna be long enough. 2 Peter chapter 3. I am trying to, I am trying to hit my time targets, but brethren, I gotta show you a few things. 2 Peter 3.15. Peter's writing. Two Jews. And he says, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction." as they do also the other Scriptures. What is Peter saying about Paul's epistles in Second Peter in about 60 A.D.? They're Scripture. About Hebrews, for 200 years, the Catholics and Protestants say no one trusted the book of Hebrews. Peter trusted it in 60 A.D. and told everyone to trust it because he said, as Paul hath written unto you, there's only one epistle that Paul wrote to Jews. And what was its name? Hebrews. Hebrews. There have been whole books written on Hebrews may not be inspired Scripture by higher textual critics. Now, I'm a lower textual critic. I'm a baby. I believe the Bible and criticize anyone who doesn't. That's how I'm a textual critic. Do you see that there? In 60 A.D., they already had Paul's epistles and and the Word was being broadcast. It's Scripture. It's written by Paul and it included Hebrews. Don't tell me about Carthage. Go die in Carthage. It's the same people that want to talk about Carthage that want to talk about the NIV, that want to talk about the dynamic equivalence of this translation. Well, I don't care about your dynamic equivalence. I want every word of God because that's the cure against the perilous times. Do you see how the context is working together? Those verses that we quote so easily, they're there for a reason. Timothy, perilous times are coming. Hold to the Scriptures because they're able to make you perfect. They've got everything you need to know. Don't think you need to go to a conference held by Rick Warren. Don't think you need to go get a seminary degree. Don't think that you need to go get the original autographs, Timothy, because there aren't any. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and you had the Scriptures when you were a child, and do any of you think that Timothy had original autographs? Or did he have a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy? With maybe a couple translations thrown in there. But it was called Scripture that he'd had it from a child, and that that's all he needed. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're supposed to be. Young men, love the Word of God. It'll make you strong. I want you to be like Elihu. Every one of you men, Elihu, Job chapter 32, there's four men sitting around a campfire. There's Job, there's Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. There are four of the wisest men on earth. And there's a young man there, but I'll tell you what that... Now, I'm paraphrasing this just a little bit for you to be able to convert Job 32 to a New Testament application. There were four of the wisest men on earth sitting around that campfire, philosophizing about what had happened to Job. And one man waited for 31 chapters, and then he couldn't wait any longer. He said, I feel like a wine bottle. I'm about to blow up. 
I have got to talk. You men don't know what you're talking about. Sit down, shut up, and listen to me. That is Job 32. Here's how bold he was. He said, He that is perfect in knowledge is with you. You four men ought to be thankful that you have a man perfect in knowledge sitting with you. And he was talking about himself. And then he said, let me give you my opinion. Old men ought to be wise, but it doesn't always work out that way. God gives inspiration to young men who, who, young men who fear Him. Young men, get excited about that. Austin, learn the Bible. You want to quote 2 Timothy 4 right now for everyone? We'll pass. I'll save you this time. He can do it. He did it for me before the service started. The Word of God, young men. Right. Every Word of God is pure. and We've got it in our King James Bibles. What they have to resort to to defend the canon of 27 books in the New Testament is the very way we understand the King James Bible. By God's stamp of divine approval upon it, by the fruit that it has borne for 400 years. Does anybody question the 27 books anymore? How could you? You'd be saying for 2,000 years God's lost it. Well, for 400 years this has borne spiritual fruit throughout the earth. This is the Word of God. I don't need to know about manuscript families or dynamic equivalents or any other textual criticism, higher or lower. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it includes the New Testament epistles. And to think that there are people that... Over a hundred Catholics wrote me and tried to tell me that I ought to be thankful to the mother whore for giving me my 27 books of the New Testament. I hope you'll all respect my patience and meekness. They're not even worth responding to. They're so blinded to think that their church had anything to do with the Word of God. That church has burned up more Bibles, manuscripts, translations and copies and burned more men that wrote those Bibles at the stake than any other church. They are the great enemy of the Bible. And their councils can all go to hell. Especially the Council of Nicaea in 323 under what they consider a Christian. Go read about the life of Constantine and see if there is a single Christian thing about it. Measured by this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Wow, that covers it. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Timothy, you don't need to worry about what other men are doing. You don't need to worry about their changes. You don't need to worry about their conferences, their programs, their credentials. Just stick to the Scriptures. They're made for you, Timothy. They can make you perfect. Don't worry about anything else. Just hold fast and continue in what I have taught you and that you have been assured of. And we should be sure of ourselves because if the Bible says it, that settles it. Amen. I charge thee, therefore. Now what's the word therefore in the first verse of chapter 4? Because he's showing you that I am right in what I'm telling you that it is a 22 verse single lesson. Therefore means chapters 3 and 4 are closely connected. I charge thee, therefore, since it's Scripture that is able to make the man of God perfect in doctrine, perfect in reproving, perfect in correction, perfect in instructing in righteousness, I charge thee, therefore, before God. Timothy, I'm dying. I'm leaving. I have scattered the Gospel so that I am free from the blood of all men in Asia. But I'm leaving. I charge thee, therefore, Timothy, 
in the sight of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. That's pretty serious. That is a serious charge for a personal letter from Paul to Timothy. I charge thee that this is an oath. Paul put Timothy under oath. Paul swore Timothy to obedience to this command. Do you understand the use of those words? Remember what the high priest did to Jesus? I adjure thee by the living God. Tell us whether you're the Son of God or not. Paul said, I charge thee, and I can show you more. Oh, here's a quick one. 1 Timothy 5.21 I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. That is Paul swearing Timothy to obedience in the name of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and before the elect angels to be faithful in his job. Now that is a serious ministerial charge. And that better be involved in every ordination that ever takes place of a God-called minister. Right there. I charge thee in the, in the name of God, in the sight of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ who is coming soon as a judge. That is serious. Amen. And what, is he, what did he charge him to do? Preach the Word. I am not very entertaining. I know that. I don't tell stories. I don't tell jokes. I don't tell anecdotes. I don't read sermon illustration books. I don't do any of that. I don't sing in the pulpit. I don't even give you a chalk drawing like Peter Ruckman does while he's preaching. I'm pretty worthless when it comes to entertaining people. But I'll tell you, I will try to give you the Word of God and to open it up, explain it, how the words connect together and what they mean. And that is what I'm told to do. I listened to a couple of sermons in the last 48 hours by men that I'd hoped would bless me. And I am very discouraged. Because they don't do that. They don't do that. They tell so many little nice things, little stories, little illustrations, and lose all their time. We need to hear the Word of God. Amen. Preach the Word. If there's anything you want I, that you should pray for me, help me preach the Word. Right. Help me learn the Word, obey the Word, live the Word, and to preach the Word. Look at the, look at the seriousness of this. In light of these perilous times, I charge thee, therefore... In light of what I've just told you, Timothy, of what's coming and of the cure that is found in the Bible, I charge you, preach the Word. Be instant. That means to be insistent, pressing, and urgent. Be instant, in season, out of season. doesn't matter whether they want to hear it or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether circumstances are lending themselves to preaching or not. Preach it. Unload. Blast away. Preach the Word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Notice there's not a whole lot of comforting, consoling, and entertaining in those words. It's reprove, rebuke, and exhort because of the perilous times. Time is short. The danger is great. Therefore, the methods have to be severe. However, they're done with all long-suffering and doctrine. There is a degree of patience that the man of God puts forth to those that oppose themselves, as Second Timothy chapter 2, go right back to a previous chapter, explains, so that God peradventure will grant them repentance that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. 
There is a degree of patience and long-suffering, but this does not mean that a man of God puts up forever and ever and ever with someone that doesn't want to obey. I've heard that so much. I'm just leading them slowly to the truth. Well, come on. No one in the Bible ever did that. Preach the truth and hold them accountable. They don't have to change in one minute. Give them a little bit of time. Explain it to them. Preach a series of messages. But let's keep the church of God in the old paths. And if we, if we learn something new, let's get out of it. Let's, get, let's, let's shed it. Let's get rid of it. All long-suffering and doctrine. Careful inculcation by repetition of the Word of God, which is doctrine. There's so much more that could be said, but we, this is enough for this subject um, to finish up right here. Verse 3 and 4 go back to describe the perilous times again. We've had the cure in verses 14 through 17. We've had the charge in verses 1 and 2. And here's a reminder as to why it is so important to stick to the Bible. Four, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Once a man turns away his ears and says, I will not hear that. Once he says, I will not hear that, God then turns him over to fables. Romans chapter 1, when a man says, I won't worship the God of heaven, God turns him over to a reprobate mind to be a sodomite. When these people turn away their ears from the truth that God gave them through the preaching of the gospel, he then gives them fables. And oh, what fables they've come up with. Isn't Benny Hinn a fable? Slain in the spirit? Where'd that thing come from? Drunk in the spirit? Laughing revival? A cracker God? You gotta be kidding me. Mary's assumption into heaven? Saint Anne was Mary's mother? The immaculate conception of Mary? Purgatory? Listen to all the fables they've come up with. A pre-trib rapture? Are you kidding me? Because they've turned away their ears from the truth, God gives them over to fables. That's his promise right there. Because if you look at that verse, verse 4, They're active in the first half of the verse and they're passive in the second half. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Are you able to understand that difference? Okay, good. This Verses 3 and 4 are a recap of what we got in verses 1 through 13. The time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. They they won't want to sit and hear you pounding them with the Word of God. They're going to heap to themselves teachers and teachers. Joel Osteen. Is that his name? Chad? Joel Osteen. Bill Heibel. Rod Parsley, yeah, all those guys with their great big churches, all their entertainers that will scratch their itching ears. The world's full of them now. And they all want to copy these great big guys because these great big guys have churches of 15,000 members. If they were looking at the ministry like a career, you want to go learn from the big guys so that you can come home and have a big church like they got. Do you, do you follow that? Do you understand why in just a few years, 250,000 ministers have gone to hear Rick Warren? Forget reading his book. Gone to hear him in person at a church building conferences. You can understand that, can't you? But here's the word of God to Timothy. The Bible's able to make you perfect, Timothy. You don't need anything else. Just stay in what I've taught you because you know for sure that it's the truth because I taught it to you. Stay in it. Your mother and your grandmother taught you the Bible first. It's able to make you perfect. Stick with it. I charge you in the light of Jesus Christ coming soon. Preach it and preach it hard because even though people are going to leave it and they're going to be turned into fables, you cannot let the churches of Jesus Christ get turned to fables. 
So watch thou in all things. This is verse 5, and we're ending. Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, put up with persecution, enemies, and animosity, just like I did, Timothy. You can do it too. Do the work of an evangelist. Spread it as widely as you can to as many people as you can. Make full proof of thy ministry. Give thyself wholly to reading, exhortation, and doctrine that thy profiting may appear unto all. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4. And the... And the uh, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. These are other verses that bear on this fifth verse. This is the cure for the perilous times. This is the charge. You had in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3 the character of a brand of Christianity that is compromising, carnal, and worldly. In verses 6 through 13, you had a description of the false teachers and how different they were from Paul. In verses 14 through 17 is the cure. It's all in the Bible. That is why we are Bible Christians. That is why we emphasize the Bible, preach the Bible, and quiz about the Bible. Because the Bible is everything. Without the Bible, we don't even know about Jesus Christ. It's able to make us wise in the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And then the charge. Timothy, I'm going. You're my most trusted man. I charge you in the name of God and the sight of God and the Lord Jesus Christ that's coming soon as a judge. Even though everyone's going to want to turn away and they're not going to like you and you're going to be persecuted. Preach the word. Be instant. Don't cave in. Be watchful. Endure afflictions. Make full proof of thy ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. Fight a good fight like I have. Finish your course like I have. Keep the faith like I have. This is the perilous times and the cure for it. It starts at home. Are you teaching your children the Word of God? Are Are you obeying the Word of God? Everything you do, brethren, I'm done. But everything you do, when you turn that knob on the music, when you handle the remote control, when you say something at work, are you part of the perilous times or are you opposing the perilous times? May the Lord bless us to be faithful, and to be His very small remnant in the perilous times of the last days.